Now there's a noise. This is our second class uh, meeting with myself and Yasser Chadli, uh and exploring uh, in our respective uh, Sufi and Zen traditions what is a good life. But um, we were just working on song. Yasser, we were talking yesterday, last week, about how the uh, the gimbri, which he was playing last week, was like a banjo. Yeah. And uh, this week, it's a banjo. It's not a gimbri. No. So, um, would you like to play with your brain? It's great. I want you to say a little about what it is. I usually. I start speaking and explaining it took too much time. So just be brief. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh. 
so this song was about uh, the prophet praising the prophet and also saying that Allah has the power to change in, a, in the blink of an eye he can make someone who's really poor for a blink of an eye change to be very rich like the possibilities this is land of possibilities so Allah has a lot of possibilities and he said also he can make the Arab to speak back to you in that song they praise in the prophet and Allah at the same that's the whole nutshell of the, the song The, in the Zen tradition, uh, there's a saying that uh, that all beings preach the Dharma, uh, including rocks, trees, oceans, that they are all speaking. Uh, and we may not be able to hear them, yes. but they're all speaking. That's right. Yes, that's mentioned in the Quran. It says everything does vicar. Vicar is, is repetition because the whole universe has a pattern of repetition. Right. Like uh, the hair on our head is one hair repeating itself, or walking is one step repeating itself, or blinking is one blink repeating itself and on and on. Mm -hmm. So they say every creation has their own repetition, but we cannot hear it and we cannot understand it, but they do, they do. And that we call zikr. So when we join in a circle and we're making zikr of just Allah, 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 we're not doing something new. We're just joining what's going on already. That's uh, right. Same. Yes, it's very similar. Yeah. Uh, one of the one of the Zen stories. Um, the student asks the teacher about all all things preaching the Dharma. Yes. And uh, he asks the teacher, "So can you hear it?" And the teacher says. No. And he, and he said, well, one night he said, if I could hear it, then you wouldn't be able to hear me. <laughs> so uh, we have to listen for it, yeah. even though we may not be able to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm wondering, I have some questions, but I'm wondering if there are any questions left over from last week that any of you have been carrying around. Remember last week? Yeah, last week was not good for me. <laughs> I apologize because sometimes in my English people may misunderstand me. Sometimes. And so I have my uh, guardrails. Mm -hmm. Sometimes. What do you mean by guardrails? My wife is my guardrails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have one of those. Shouldn't say that. That was not good. And stuff like that. So that's why I'm trying to be 
and more careful because we have to speak according to the level. And if you speak to another level, some other people say, what are you talking about? And I don't want to be in that place. So if I said something last week that was upsetting, uh, it's not my character. I didn't mean to do that. So that's why uh, if you ask me questions sometimes, I might not answer what you're asking because I may understand it differently. Yes, I was reading something from Rumi. And Jalal Din Rumi, by this American guy who translated his work. Cobb Parks? Yes, that one. Yeah. So he has one that's really good for this project, this things about what makes a good life. And Rumi, he put it like that. He said, human beings should be, you should think like you are a guest house. You are a guest house. I don't know if you read this one about guest house. And he said you should, you should welcome anybody who comes because you, they are your guests. And those who come, they could be a depression, joy, meanness, anything, you should embrace them all because that's who you are, a guest. And then you should embrace them, allow them, don't fight them or something, they are your guests. That, I thought that was yeah. something you have to We have, when, you know, we have a, in Zen, there's a, um, there's a formulation uh, of a set of, of teachings about guest and host, host and guest. Yeah. And uh, the way it unfolds is like, sometimes you're the host, and sometimes you're the guest. And it's very important to be able to take either role, you know, some, you know in a certain circumstance. Instead of being the host, you're the guest. In the, in the same way, um, sometimes you were the teacher, and sometimes you were the student. And I think what we learn to be is flexible, so that we're not caught in one position. We're not fixed in that one position. So, sometimes when I'm around you, I'm a student. And now I'm speaking and you're listening. Yes. So we're switching, we're, we're trading these roles back and forth very freely. Yes, yes. And that's uh, written in the Quran, is what you're saying. A lot of times when I ask some, a lot of Americans, Say so you know about the Quran? Did you read the Quran? No. So they don't know what's in there. But what's in there? It says, "Bismillahirrahmanirrahim." <laughs> said, 
help each other. This is like the host and the guest. Sometimes the host has more knowledge than the guest, then the guest should take from the one that has more. And the one that has more should give to the one that has less. That's the exchange that should be all the time. And help each other. It talks about a group. It doesn't say by yourself you can reach somewhere. But you always find someone that knows more and you can take from them. And they also know that you need and they can give you. So give and take is the pattern that is encouraged for us to be. Yeah. yeah. One time when we were having um, <coughs> some challenges in, in our community, uh, uh, Lori said, she's my teacher, Lori's my teacher, yeah. uh, one of my teachers. <laughs> she said, well, when my teacher is ahead of me, I will follow. And where my teacher is not ahead of me, I will lead. This is this is difficult because it's uh, it caused it it causes you to be flexible in your relationships with each other, which are usually fall into a certain pattern. You know, yeah. the teacher usually feels like the teacher. But it's good for the teacher to be the student. Yeah. And it's good for the student to be the teacher. Yeah. Well, the, when you talk about a relationship, so the perfect relationship, they give it an image. They used to be knives. And people didn't know about scissors. So they created, to put the two knives together, they become one. And then, if the man and the woman are one, the couple, they are one, then they point toward what they're going to cut in life. High life, sickness, old age, or something, they're always together to cut. But they used to be separate. And then once they become together, then is expected for them to go through life. That's what makes a good life. They're cutting through problems and through high life, low life, they're cutting. And the point of the scissor is also pointed out there. If the scissor breaks and then the, the sharp points are pointing at each other, we call the sharp point the tongue. And then the tongue, with one word, you can never miss. You can always hit and reach your target with the sharp tongue. You can reach the heart of the other person and hurt them with one word. Yeah, and you also, you can't take it back. No, once it comes out. Right. It's like once it hits its target, it's, there's, there's a wound or there's a scar. Yes. yes. So we have to... So this is a in, in the Jewish tradition. Yeah. Uh, there's the expression, guard your tongue. Yes, yes. We have two things to guard in the Muslim tradition. By the Prophet, he said, if you guard two things, I promise you paradise. One of them is the tongue. 
What's the other one? Your eyes. <laughs> or something that is in your body. Your heart. Yeah. Heart. Heart. No, no heart is okay. It's something else. He said, watch your tongue. Or he said, watch what's between your lips, your tongue. And he said, and watch what's between your legs. <laughs> he said that. If you watch these two things, you'll be fine. May a lot of people get in trouble from either or both. Yes. You have some people that are good with everything, but they have a weakness there. Mm -hmm. And that uh, everything they do, if they fall in that, that place, they become, uh, my son had this dog, was good with everything, except he had this problem. What does he do? He humped every other dog he saw. <laughs> Doesn't matter if it's a male or a female dog, only thinks he was humping. That's it. He passed now, but I can see that. And that can be, in a human being, they can be attached to this sickness. And that's why they say, wash these two things. Is there a celibate tradition in Islam? They don't encourage it. Mm -hmm. It's called uh, to be a monk and not to deal with the world. Is there and not to have family? Are, it's not encouraged. Are, but there's no order or anything. There are no orders or sects. There are. There are. There are. There are some ones that are absorbed with, with the divine presence. Mm -hmm. and they cannot deal with the regular life mm -hmm. at all. They are. That's not the bulk. It's a particular. These are uh, the elite in the illumination. They are in that level. There was one elite eliminated man famous in, in Tanta. Tanta is a place in Egypt. Mm -hmm. There's a, a great saint, his name is Ahmed al-Badawi. Never married, never was thinking about having kids or nothing. This Ahmed al-Badawi, he used to live on the roofs of people. They call him the roof guy. And then he used to cover his eyes. He was like almost seven foot tall. He was born in Fez. Then he moved to Mecca. From Mecca, he moved to Tanta. There. His eyes had so much light. If, if people want to see him, if you look at them, they can faint and fall. And then the, the scholars from Egypt in the big school called the Azhar. Azhar is where they, they check every new thing, whether it's halal or haram. <laughs> They heard about Ahmed Badawi, but they heard he never goes to Friday prayers, which is obligatory for men to go at noon and pray the Friday prayers, because Friday is a holiday. That's why here they make it holy by saying TGIF. <laughs> they don't say it about any day, except Friday. <laughs> 
So, we, but that means thank goodness. Right, right. That means the week is over. We're happy. We're happy. They're not really thanking God. Yeah, for us it's like that. They said this guy never. We never seen him on Friday. Plus, he's we can see him. He's like seven foot tall. He doesn't come on Friday. So they sent the scholars to him to. What do you call this? Scold. Scold him and say, you're a bad example. You have all these people following you and making zikr and everything. And then the, the fun, which is obligatory to be, you're, you're not there. You are false and fake teacher. So the guy was telling him this. And then better we, he pushed this guy like that, pushed him like that. The guy fell back. He fell back in an island. He looked around. Where am I? An island. He doesn't recognize anything in that island. He was walking on the shore. He found his fishermen. Where am I? He told him, You are in this island, far away from Cairo. How did I get here? Then he starts regretting, I should not put this man down. I should not have that. Then the fisherman said, if you want to get out of here and everything, go to that mosque. There's an imam there who leads Friday prayer. And he went there. Who's leading the Friday prayer? That one. Ahmed Bedawi was there. Then he came and said, you see what I do Friday? I do it here because I have these people to give them. Then he pushed him back. He came back to that place. He said, no, I believe you are a wedding. That one, he never married or, or has children, but he used to communicate with the jinns. They are made from smokeless fire. Mm -hmm. They have big beads, like a thousand of them. You can see, still see them in the mosque where he's buried. And each bead, he has a name of a jinn that he used to. So he used to say words that are not in Arabic or anything. Different, totally different. The names of the jinns. Jinns, yeah, each one. 1,000 beads, big ones, and he used to be on the roof. When people come to greet him, he will put those that, those beads down, and they shake the beads, say, ah, salam alaikum, how are you doing? What's wrong with you? Ah, uh, my son is being caught by the French. The French at the time, they want to colonize Egypt. My son is there in jail. And then he, he will say, go, go home, you'll find your son. Then they go there and there is his son. Still, the son with the steel, the metal they were holding. And they have those metals. They have them. They have them to show how they, he freed a lot of them. They asked him, how did you get free? He said, I don't know. I was in the chair. Somebody came and took me from there to here. With speed, because they, uh, they shrink time and space. That, that was the level of Ahmed and was one of the great saints. Every year they have his, uh, his uh, they call Rus, means his wedding day. Wedding day for these people is the day they pass. Wedding means uh, is that I'm gonna find, I'm gonna be with the one. Mm -hmm. So that's the greatest day. My death is my wedding day. Also Jalaluddin Rumi, saint, his death is his wedding day. They call it wedding day, those people. Jalaluddin Rumi, he wrote so much, but uh, 
when I came here, I mean, General Dean Rumi, he was a jurist. He know the rules and the regulations. Yeah. And then he was also not just uh, sitting doing zikr, he was defending the place where he lived. He would go with his best horse, he checked the best horse, because he had horses. So which one is the best? He would ride on it and go all the way to the borders to stop and fight the Mongol of his time. It was not like sleeping and just doing zikr. He's a mover. But here in the West, they made sure to strip out his Islam. So they don't say he's Muslim. They don't want to hear that. Because people sometimes they have allergy. If you say Islam, they start scratching. They have allergy. If you even say Allah, they scratch. They have allergy. So allergy. 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 Yeah, allergy. Allah. Allah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. My mind is go. My mind is going in two directions. One is a, a story, a end story, which is totally the other side. Yes. Uh, it's a traditional. It's a an older story from China, where um, a woman was supporting a celibate monk for many years, and she built a, a hut for him uh, and brought him food every day. And he would just meditate silently and uh, was a holy man. And one day, <clears throat> she began to wonder, what's really going on here? Is there something, you know, I need to test you. So she sent her young daughter, her beautiful daughter, into the hut. And she took off her clothes. Mm. And took uh, paraded in front of the monk, and then left. And the old woman goes to the monk and says, "What about that?" And he said, uh, "Something like the withered tree grows on the rocky peak." And with that. She burned down the hut and kicked him out. Mm -hmm. Because to be devoid of feelings, of human feelings, is not the objective of, it wasn't the, the vision of uh, complete awakening that, that she understood. Then, do you follow story? Sort of. Yeah. Basically, it's if you have a passionless person, mm -hmm. then they have nothing to work with. <coughs> if he if he has no passions, yeah. then he has nothing. He has no work to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and if he's not responding <coughs> to this beautiful young girl, uh, there's something not alive in him. Yeah. So this is this is very much <coughs> the complexity of this tradition, where you have both sides. Yeah. You know, you want to be free in free not not free from your desires in a sense, but free in your desires, and yet not yield to them. Still, 
you know, guarding your tongue, guarding what's between your legs, but not pretending that there's nothing that comes up in your mind or in your body that is going to affect you. So it's a different, it's a, it's a different thrust to that story. So you were talking about um, the couple of directors. One, uh, you were talking about the scissors. Yeah. Uh, so I think that there's certainly questions that people have about uh, the role of women, relationships between men and women, uh, in what they hear of Islam. Or what they see in the media, which to me there, there's all kinds of uh, Islam, and there's also patriarchy in virtually every religion that we could think of, including Buddhism. You know, it's in it's it's a lot of it is in the culture that uh, that these religions emerge from. Uh, but I wonder if you have. something that you could share with us about how you feel men and women are in, in your vision of, of Islam. You know the Prophet, peace be upon him, peace be upon all of them. Uh, a man came to him and asked him, give me an advice. He looked at him, he said, take care of your mother. He said, okay, give me another advice. He again said, take care of your mother. He said again, give me another advice. He said, take care of your mother, three times. Then he said, give me another advice. He said, then take care of your father. And this in the Muslim world, they take it at heart that the mother is sick. Called Ummah, the nation. It's from Umm, mother. Umma. So that uh, woman is sacred. So the, the sacredness of a, a lady is is a is described in the Holy Quran that has you know how many chapters are in the Quran. There are 114 chapters. There is one chapter that is named after Miriam. 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 And Miriam is mentioned in the Quran 38 times. Miriam is in the Old Testament also. Yes, the mother of Isa, which you call Jesus. That, that is the symbol of sacredness for the Muslim world. That's why she had a whole chapter with her name. No other ladies are mentioned by name except her. The whole Quran, you don't find, you find ladies that she did this or she, even Sarah is not mentioned by name, the Abraham's wife, not mentioned by name, except Miriam. 
Even her mother is not mentioned by name, except Miriam. So the Quran gives you that symbol. Now if you imagine in your head Mary, you can see her attire, you see the sacredness. You never going to see her without covering you. She covers. So the Muslim world, they like to cover the same way what we call hijab. It's to cover because ladies are sick. Okay, Victor. So there's, um, there's the Quran, and there's the world. Yes, and both of them are the Quran. Mm -hmm. There are two. There's the written Quran, there's the written Quran, and there is the Quran. Everything that you see is written. So there is a writing Quran and the, the creation Quran, because mm -hmm. we have two. So those who don't know the Quran may know the, the creation, and whatever they see, they find it mentioned in the Quran. And those who study just the Quran, they can see in nature, oh, the Quran said about that, there's a connection. And that's mentioned in the Quran itself. What is the Kitab al-Mastur? The words that are written. And the other one is And is this nature that we are living in. So they go hand in hand. But even if the, the only woman mentioned in the Quran is Miriam. Yes. Um, in this world, mm -hmm. uh, half the world is women. Okay. How? Do, what's the ins, What's your instruction? What's the instruction that you're given about how women and men uh, share the world? It's not to pluck out the sacredness of women, and mostly mothers, they are sacred for the Muslim men. In Islam, women are sacred. They are not to be dealt with as a, a tool for commercial, attract people to use, to use women because they need money to use them like that, like that. That is not what Islam likes. That's the goal. Yeah. The goal is sacredness. If the lady thinks herself sacred, by herself she will move in a, in a, in a holiest, uh, holistic way by themselves. If they don't know this information, they can be lured for money or for fame or for whatever it is that 
it is the world like that. And that's because we have free will and choice. That sacredness is part of Islam. Mm -hmm. That they want you to look at every woman as a sacred woman. And therefore, it tells all men, lower your gaze. And then after that, all women, lower your gaze. Because when we say a thief or a robber, there's also the robber for the tires. And what? Tires. Tires? No, he, he's confusing robber and rubber. Oh, rubber. Yeah. Which one is the thief? The robber. Rubber. I don't make any difference between robber and the rubber. And what you put on your car? This English is <laughs> crazy. Air. You put a ring. Air and the rubber. <laughs> and Arabic is so rich. For example, lion. How many words do you have to describe lion? How many are there? Lion. What? In Arabic, lion. Lioness. In Arabic, lion has ten words tend to say lion. Well, that's because, you know, there weren't a lot of lions in England. <laughs> there are probably more lions. In the whole Arabic, there is many, many names for this, for one thing. Yeah. Many names. Why are we saying that? We will go I'll see you in a moment. Um, what I was thinking, uh, you know, there's an evolution of the Buddhist tradition, which is troubling and complicated. Uh, we talked about women being sacred. Yes. Uh, in the early Buddhist tradition, in order to become a Buddha, in order to become awakened, you have to have a male body. Uh, women uh, were not initially seen. And then at a certain point, the Buddha made some pronouncements and, and uh, you know, the, we don't know actually what happened, but the, but the way that they were, that women were seen began to shift as the culture shifted, I think. But um, there's also, uh, you know, a long tradition, even in the, even in the Japanese Buddhist tradition, of women as unclean, uh, as perhaps the opposite of sacred, uh, and you know that's there's an internal uh, dynamic and struggle about that, uh, which is not particularly relevant. In the in our modern terms, but we're still working with it. Mm. You know, we're still working with uh, with the transformation of our communities and with the development of women as religious leaders. Therefore, I was saying about robber or a thief. Usually, when you think about a thief or a robber. What part of their body they use to steal? Their hand. And we think that's it. 
but there's another way of stealing, is the stealing with the eyes. These ones, stealing with the eyes is very, very subtle. And that the Quran mentions to say, Allah is aware when you steal with your eyes. And that's for they say you should lower your gaze. Mm -hmm. To lower your gaze for the man that is past 40, they tell you walk with a stick, not because you need stick for your legs or knees. The stick to keep looking where your eyes go, uh, where you step. And then the Prophet, the most what he looks at when he walks is his feet. And he avoids stealing with his eyes who? The form of ladies. So if a lady is coming like this, and a man is going like that, it's fine. Hi, hi. Good morning, good afternoon. The woman keeps on walking, but the man turns to steal with his eyes the form of the lady. That is a sin. And if you keep on stealing and stealing and stealing, it gathers dark dust around the heart. Mm -hmm. But you're not aware of it because it became, uh, yes, it's our right to look at the habit. habit. And then now they can, they can even invade you in your own house. If you say to someone in your house, somebody knock and you open and you find a naked lady, can you invite her in? You say no. But then they come in to the TV. TV. They come in there. And then you sit down and you start stealing with your eyes. And Allah said in the Quran, You know Khain. Khain means you are a, a, a thief with your eyes, thinking that nobody can know that. That's the false inside of you. You think nobody is aware of this. Therefore, they say, lower your gaze, because Allah is aware. So most of what the Prophet looked when he walked is his feet. To avoid this, and, uh, and women too, he said, lower your gaze too. But it's more dangerous for the men because their eyes, they like to steal. How to change that? You have to look at women as sacred then you don't look at them with the eyes of uh, desire. You don't know who their intelligence, their soul, no, you don't care about that. You only look at the materialistic and, and the desire and pleasure. You can fall in that trap. Well, desire is, you know, uh, seen as the primary source of suffering in Buddhism. Yes. To say the Four Noble Truths, to say life is marked by suffering, what's the cause of suffering? The cause of suffering is attachment, desire, yes. uh, reactivity, but all of these things are, are part of the same uh, mental formations. Yes, it's the same.
and may have a there's a you know a very evolved notion of what we call karma. Yeah. Karma is volitional action that is the manifestation of uh, mind, speech, and body. So it's not just what you do or what you say, it's also what you think, which is exactly what you take in through your senses, right? Yes. You take in through your eyes, through your nose and ears, and touch. And those are, those are potentially, they have a potential effect on how you live, you know, what, what happens, what's the causes that, what's the effect that flows from those causes. Want to open up questions, thoughts? Please. Must be something on your eyes. Yeah, okay. Um, I don't really know exactly what my question is, but in the beginning of the talk, um, you were talking about how all objects expound the dharma or the sacredness of um, all aspects of reality. And then when you're talking about these kind of gender dynamics, there was this way in which I think I was part of my question is what is the like special sacredness of women that is distinct from just the inherent sacredness of everything? Like, is that yeah. different? So let me repeat the question as I, as I hear it, so, so you could hear it online. Uh, Mark was asking, uh, what is the special or particular sacredness of women uh, as possibly distinct from the sacredness of everything? Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Do you understand the question? No. Um, Can you make it simple? Yes. Is a woman more sacred than a rock? Yes. Of course. So it happens. Sure. <laughs> there is something that is connected with the, when we say Bismillah, the name of Allah, and then we say Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. Ar-Rahman. Most merciful comes from this word Ar-Rahman. Ar-Rahman is the womb. womb. That is the sacredness of ladies because of the womb. For all of us, when we do a ceremony for marriage, it said, be aware of the wombs. Because we want to introduce that to people of different belief. Even if somebody is atheist, they cannot say, I came from a tree, I didn't come from a womb. He said, no, we all came from a womb. The womb is the special of ladies. That's what made them really sacred, is the womb. And the womb, from the womb, Allah created the word Rahman. And the womb is Rahm, Rahm. Rahm is mercy, Rahman, because Allah took care of us when we were in the womb without the mother getting her hand in there to feed the baby or something. No, something else is taking care in that place, sacred place called the womb. 
And that's the, what the Quran says about the ladies. And also, there's 114 chapters in the Quran. One chapter was for Miriam. The only woman mentioned by name, 38 times. Another chapter is called Al-Nisa. Women. Whole chapter for women only. Have you read the Quran before? I read parts of it, but not the whole thing. Yes. Um, in a class at a divinity school. You can zoom on the chapter called women. And there, Allah speaks on behalf of women. And he said, if you ask me about women, let me tell you. Allah speaks like that. So that's the sacredness. That's what makes them, their value is different. And we have to be respectful of the womb that we came from and other ones who have the womb. Doesn't matter. That's uh, special. On our altar here, yeah. um, we have the Buddha. Yes. And then that figure beneath the Buddha, uh -huh. that is, um, the figure is called Prajnaparamita, who is also one of the epithets for that is, uh, Prajnaparamita is the mother of the Buddha. And you can see it's a very, it's a very feminine figure. Uh, and so, it's also representative of, and we also talk about the womb. So we have various ways of expressing the totality of the universe. And one of the ways that that's expressed is as Tathagata Garbha, which means the womb of the Tathagata. So when we talk about the universe, it's, it, the universe is that from which everything emerges. And that's characterized as, that's a womb, you know, from which we, uh, from which life emerges mysteriously. It's complete mystery. You know, and how you were talking about how, you know, a child is, is growing within the mother, and yet the whole body without any instruction, without any, you know, without our doing anything, the body is nourishing the child to the moment at which it comes forth. This is, this is beyond our understanding, completely beyond our understanding. You know, uh, maybe only uh, the Buddhas and Allah can understand that. Yes. Other questions? Yeah. What does Buddhism say about abortion? That's a really interesting question. Uh, I don't know that it says anything in particular. You know, I think it becomes. Uh, This comes back to what I, one of the places that I wanted to go, which was to talk about the law and discipline uh, in our respective traditions. The, the law, the, 
the rules that were established were rules for celibate monks. You know, uh, and then by extension for celibate nuns. So the celibacy is a given, right? Uh, and so abortion doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't make it onto the list. So we have to, each of us has to struggle with what our understanding is of that of that act and uh, you know we bring here we we would bring a modern a modern sensibility to to the questions which means we might think on either side of that right in, in ethical terms or moral terms uh, but there's really that I can recall and maybe if someone knows differently you can contradict me I can't recall any direct instruction about that. What does Islam say? What does Islam say about abortion? The choice is the mother. Just Nobody can interfere with that. And then what the Prophet said about the womb so that picking in the the sperm comes with the egg and they have a play and he said for 40 days they with each other like this another 40 days they hang they become like a hanging you heard that before you agree like you no, read it I, I have heard it before you heard this before Another 40 days, so three forties. How much is that? That's four months. Four months? Yeah. After four months, they say the heart, the soul comes in. When the soul comes in, at that time, there's a soul. Before that, there's only the the house where the soul is going to come. Mm. That's what I, last Thursday I was talking about this, and I think uh, I didn't explain it really clearly. So that's what the prophet said. Mm -hmm. So before that, the, from zero to four months, there's no problem if you don't feel like you want to have this. But after four months, you're dealing with the soul that is there. Mm -hmm. That is the Islamic teaching. And the choice is in the lady. Not anybody should interfere with what the lady wants to do with that. And there's more details, but this is the general. general. Yeah. Because after that, they say an angel comes, when the soul is in there, the angel comes and they write the future of this new born one. And then we do that here, but we don't pay attention to it. There was a long time when I came here, when you have a TV, then they have a little book on top of the TV, they call it TV guy. TV guy. 
it has all the programs. Even before the program happened, the program is written there, what's going to happen. The angels, they also, they know the program. Allah tells them, this being is going to go left or right. They write all that program. Even though they have free will, they can change if they are sitting with a, a master that can break the, the ego tunnel that they are inside. Mm -hmm. They can break and change it. That's also written in the divine TV guide. And they wrote on that whether, what, how much you're going to eat, how much you're going to drink, how much you're going to air, and uh, the expiration date. Sometimes we go take some milk, and uh, my wife, she looks at the expiration date. We can do it to the milk. We don't think they can do it on us. They do. But we don't know that expiration. Because of that, we can live a happy life. If you know you're going to die here and there, you will lose all your weight. Well, it's good for losing weight. Worried. Worried, yes. Worried, yeah. You're it's, worried. Worried. it's a great late weight loss program. <laughs> yes, a great one. Yes, this is a, there's a lot of details and I don't want to right. share some well, I was thinking, so, so last week and just now, yeah. you were speaking about uh, basically how the vision of Allah is all-knowing, knowing, knowing all that has happened and will happen. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. And what occurred to me that the difference between, we keep trying to put it into, we try, we try to put that understanding into human terms. Yes. Which is impossible. Yes. And it, it occurs to me that for uh, the way you were speaking of Allah, and you were speaking in a very, it was from a mystical dimension. Yes. Um, but in that dimension, there's no time. Is there gender? No. We say uh, Allah, but Allah created the gender beyond gender. Also, the creative creation is, being, is not the creation. He created time, but he is not in time. He is not in time? No, he created time. There is a surah in the Quran, a small surah. It started with Asr, time. In that insanity, all human beings are on like going downhill. Illa except illa ladina amen. Except if you have faith. Because even though you don't see Allah or God, you should believe there must be something. And seeing that's what we call faith. And then after that, those who do good deeds and actions. There are four of our faith do good actions. And then وَتَوَاسَوْ بِالْحَقِّ And speak with each other about truth. 
and truth, if you simplify it in an equation like mathematics, you'll find an agreement between all the people. If you put it in the most simplest way, you can say that 2 plus 2 is 4. Period. Everybody agrees. Between that 2 plus 2 is 4, there is guardrails to not change that truth. Now, if people are greedy, then they say 2 plus 2 is 5, because they want one more for themselves. Or if they are stingy, they will say 2 plus 2 is 3. And that's outside the guardrails. And then they're not following that path. 2 plus 2 is 4 is the road or the freeway. There's guardrail, but it has a destination. The destination is Allah. But he wants you to, if you want to reach Allah, you have to be on that 2 plus 2 is 4. But continue with that truth. And don't get into another road where they permit. They say, yeah, 2 plus 2 is 4, but sometimes 2 plus 2 is 5. Because we need tax and we need this and that. And some they don't want to give anything. They say, well, 2 plus 2 is 3. Because they're stingy inside of them. They can affect through their juggling the truth and making it to be different and then sweeping the people or making them to follow a wrong way. But you have to stay between those. And there is a lot of rules and regulations on the guardrail. Right. Yeah, Zachary. I'm thinking about how kind of a key Buddhist teaching is like non-separation or like um, I guess I'm wondering in the Sufi tradition like is Allah a separate being from all reality like is there some essence that is Allah that is separate like sitting outside of time and all that we experience or is it just the manifesting of all things and the continuous emergence of all things Allah, there is nothing like Allah. Whatever you think Allah is, it's not. It's beyond imagination. Also, we can say Allah is not here. But it's infinite. But you cannot say he's here because we can, we can catch him. That's why we say La ilaha illallah. La ilaha, there's no God. Illallah, but Allah. Both of them, they go together, yin and yin, like that. And yet, we say, you have to believe in faith. And that faith, you cannot have evidence that Allah exists or doesn't exist. It's only pure faith. There must be something. We deduct that from the singularity, how it started with the Big Bang, boom, everything started. What created that, that singularity to explode? And in the Quran it said, everything is running away from each other. We are expanding, expansion. Always there's expansion going on. It started from there. Then we say, well, nothing cannot stop that. Because nothing is nothing. It has to be something. That's something 
Yes, help me. <laughs> well, he wants, he's asking, I think, is Allah separate from cr the creation? You can say separate or separate. It's both. It's both. That's his answer. <laughs> so that's non-separation. Um, that's parallel to Buddha nature. Buddha nature is not a thing. You can't identify, you can't point to Buddha nature which pervades. This is where uh, uh, in our particular tradition, in one of the traditional teachings, uh, it says all beings have Buddha nature. And what uh, our, the founder of our, of our Zen tradition in Japan, yeah. Dogen, yeah. he retranslated that expression to say all beings are Buddha nature. Because to say to have Buddha nature means to have some thing, some essence within you that is apart from that's separate. But to say you are, it's like all, all of existence is the expression of Buddha nature. And I think that's akin to uh, what you're saying about Allah. Allah said in the Quran, I am closer to you than your own jugular vein. Like that? Yeah. So that means we all have jugular vein, means Allah is there. So according to who? is that person. Some they can feel that presence because they are in that level. And some they're covered with layers and layers from their eyes and what they what they covered with and from whatever pleasures and this and that and that. So they are different levels. But if you come to a high level where that oneness, that person doesn't speak on their behalf, as Allah speaking through their mouth. These are the elite of the elite of the chosen ones that are spread on this planet. And in the Sufi tradition, we say there are 124,000 elites who Allah's presence, you can feel it. Without them saying a word, as soon as you see them, you feel God's presence. Mm -hmm. Without saying a word, because they can't. According to the levels. So, in order to manifest as one of those 124,000, uh, is there a path to that? Is there a path to become one of those? Yes. You have to How do you do it? <laughs> you stay between the guardrails. Uh -huh. the rules and the regulation, and you have a target. You're targeting Allah, and they have love. You want to know, and they have a lot of love. And then if you ask those eliminated ones to show you, then Allah send those people to you, and then you become connected. Because there's a lot of people that speak about Allah, but they are disconnected. They only speak about what they read in books, and they're not connected with a master. You say, Sheikh. So there are the moon fossils, the ones that are not connected, 
and mutasil, the ones that are connected. The ones that are connected goes all the way. Like my sheikh, for example, I know who is sheikh and who the other one, the other one. He can go all the way up, 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 up to the prophet. And the prophet with angel Gabriel and then Allah. They all got connected. If that connection is, is true and then firm and you have certainty, then you can be part of this. And each one of these 124,000 uh, lightened people, they take from a source of a prophet that is similar to them. If one has a, the love to particular prophet, particular, if one has the love to heal people and love them, and he's a wanderer, he, he never stops. He goes from place to place, wherever he happens to be, he sleeps there. We take that one is a hisawi, means he takes from the source of Jesus. It's similar to him. Mm -hmm. Some others are similar to Abraham, which they are surrounded by Allah. When somebody speaks to Abraham, he's to look down. And the people, they say, ah, oh, he's humble and everything. But no, he knows that it's Allah speaking to him through that. So he has that, that, like that. And each prophet has something particular. And these are the sources. And all the other 124,000 of them, they have a, a connection to one of those uh, yeah. prophets. Yeah. I mean, actually, there's that's parallel mm -hmm. um, in In Buddhist traditions, there are countless bodhisattvas. Uh, yes. And each one has a particular characteristic. Yes. You know, in, in some of the texts, each one has a name which expresses their particular skill. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, uh, I can sing you a song on that one. Uh, and we have. So for the guardrails, yeah. we have what are called paramitas, perfections. Uh, these are bodhisattva practices. So uh, they are uh, generosity, morality, patience, effort. Uh, what am I forgetting? Meditation. Wisdom, oh, that's it. Six, six paramitas. And each one of those, wisdom is the one that pervades all of them. Wisdom is what makes it, it it's kind of the catalyst for all of them to become not just plain virtues, but actually bodhisattva practices. And so we say these are. These are the practices of the bodhisattvas who are enlightened beings, awakened beings. It's what they do naturally. They don't have to think about these things as aspects that they have to cultivate. But for us, we have to take them on as particular practices. You know, we have to practice generosity. We have to practice morality or discipline practice patients, etc. That's how, that's the, the way we aim. You were using that word last time. That's the way we aim to, to become um, bodhisattvas. And then we're embodying these 
particular characteristics. So similar. It's similar, yeah. I think somebody can ask questions we can yeah. get some because people are getting tired. Yeah, it's it's good thing. Other questions? Any questions? Actually I haven't looked. Uh, are there any questions out there in Zoom land? Does anyone want to ask anything? You can raise your digital hand or just speak up? Here's one. Carol, welcome back, by the way. Thank you. We can't hear you. Oh, you can't hear me? Still can you hear me in. now? Can you hear me? No, you're still muted. You must have, on your vacation, you must have forgotten how to use Zoom. I don't know. I'm, I'm not hmm. hearing. Oh, wait. Is you might have yeah, I think it's this one. I can hear you. Okay, here we go. Try again. Uh, all right. Thank you. Um, I I've I've just come back from Istanbul, and um, I loved that country, and uh, learned more about your religion. And I went to a, a, a whirling dervish performance. I guess we call it a performance, and learned more about that that practice and uh, how it expresses, you know, your, your love for Allah. Which, can you say something about it and how it's, how it's viewed in, um, with you and... So, so the patron saint of this touring dervish is Rumi. Yeah. Jaladin Rum, that's his full name. They were, he was with his student debating which one carries who. Does the soul carry the body or the body carries the soul? Which one? So to demonstrate for them that the soul is more important than the body, he stood up and has one hand facing up and one hand down to give turn. When he turned, started to lift. When he started to lift from the ground, he proved to them that the soul is carrying the body. <laughs> now everybody twirled that nobody was able to hear. <laughs> <laughs> Their ego is so heavy, it holds the <laughs> That's how it starts. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Anyone else in here or out there? Well, I can sing you a song about Bodhisattva. Yes, sir. Okay. Go for it. You've all heard this. So please excuse me. It's kind of our theme song. Mm -hmm. 
this is um, a chapter from uh, a very, one of the most important Buddhist texts, uh, the Lotus Sutra, which is very old. It comes from, from India, and uh, it's been turned into song here. And those of you who know it, please sing the chorus. Someday I'm gone. 
target of scorn and abuse. Still our hero, he shed no tears. Did he ever wonder what's the use? Till he came to the end of his natural lifespan, he lay down to fix him to die. And he heard the Holy Lotus Sutra being preached up in the sky. And his life was extended for millions of years. He's living to this day. And in the pages of the Lotus Sutra, you still can hear him say, I would never disparage you or keep you at arm's length. Where do you only see your weaknesses? I only see your strength. I would never despise you or put you down in any way. Because it's clear to me I can plainly see you'll be a Buddha someday. Yes, it's clear to me I can plainly see you'll be a Buddha someday.